And welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. This is episode number 17. This is Eric Murtaugh back as the host. This is our pit review, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish Fall 28-21 to the Pitt Panthers, a really bad loss. Um, not many words to speak for myself right now, but luckily I brought in Lars today to do a lot of the talking, a lot of breaking down of the plays. Uh, Lars, how you doing? I'm doing great, Eric, other than uh, last night's uh, performance, which was pretty difficult to watch. Uh, things are good good up north here otherwise. Yeah, we were just talking before we got on air. I'm just so tired. I didn't sleep very well last night. Uh, a lot of, lot to think about with this loss. Um, kind of looked like maybe this team was going to head for maybe three or four losses at worst. And now we're kind of uh, rethinking that whole idea here with BYU coming up and then Stanford finishing this season. We do have a bye week coming up, which is good. Hopefully the team can rest and maybe figure some of these things out. All right, we're going to talk um, about three different topics. I'll probably throw some other questions in there for you, Lars. First thing I want to talk about was uh, the play of Tommy Reese in this game really was kind of a... Um, I don't want to say he ruined it for the Notre Dame, but... Uh, you know, two crucial turnovers, including one in the in the end zone. Um, was this more a product of Reese's decision-making ability, and um, just the fact that maybe Reese isn't as talented um, as many other quarterbacks in the top 25 are, or were you more frustrated with the play calling you saw from the head coaching staff? Uh, personally, I'd put it more on Tommy than, than the play calling. I thought the play calling for the most part was pretty good. Um, you know, particularly that big pass to TJ Jones was, uh, was a really nice job of taking advantage of what Pitt was doing. And, uh, you know, I think it was a really well-designed play call and I think it was set up really well. Um, you know, I thought we did a nice job of, of getting Koyak out, uh, isolated a few times. So again, I thought the play calling was pretty good. Um, you know, this really rests on, on Tommy's shoulders, although, you know, we, we can't keep putting Tommy Reese in a position where he has to carry the team and where he has to throw the ball 38, 40 times. So it's been proven time and again, if Tommy Reese has to throw the ball, you know, 30 plus times, we struggle winning. That's just the reality. Um, and his numbers, if you take away the two interceptions, his numbers were actually quite good. Now, the interceptions were horrendous, absolutely horrendous, particularly that rollout down near the goal line. Um, and Tommy had earlier, I was watching the film, and he had airmailed the rollout on. It was a third and short, actually, early in the game. It was just a horrible pass, and he just reverted back to his old uh, mechanics. And if you remember, I had done a post on him, how he had improved his ability to roll out. And I think we saw that, you know, in particular against Navy, where they were able to run some boots, and he did a really nice job with it. Well, last night, he, he turned back into 2011, Tommy, and, and was you know, coming flat instead of attacking the line of scrimmage so he could throw that ball. Um, and so so to me, that suggests, um, I, I guess that wasn't a great play call to have him roll out down there since he wasn't throwing particularly well, but you've got to be able to trust your senior quarterback not to roll out 
harshly and then throw the ball back across his body into double coverage. Like if, you know, there's two pit defenders who could have made a pick there. And so that was just a horrible, horrible decision by Tommy. And some people will question, you know, rolling out down there. I actually like to roll out down near the end zone. I think there's some good reasons to do that. It's especially advantageous if you have a quarterback who can run. But even if you don't, I think sometimes just simplifying that read and, and uh, trying to make it a nice, easy read, or if it's not there, just throw it away is a good good play call. But um, Tommy's decision was horrible. And, and the second pick was was the same thing. Um, they, he just read a cover two, high safety, and you saw last week he went right away. Navy did that on that third down play, and he threw it over the linebacker and got it to Nicholas. Well, he tried to do the same thing, but pit safeties are much, much better than Navy safeties. And uh, the linebacker did a pretty good job on uh, Nicholas. It was clearly the wrong decision and again it wasn't an overly complex read and it's something that Tommy Reese as a senior uh, he shouldn't make those decisions but you know I mean we need to be able to run the ball and we need to be able to make some plays on defense as well so it's not just Tommy um, but if I had to blame one of the two Tommy or the, the play calling um, you know unfortunately I would have to put more of the blame on Tommy Reese. Did you think the uh, the play calling was 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 pretty good before those final two drives. I know, uh, I think in the last two drives, they threw the ball 16 times, only ran the ball once. Um, obviously, that's a panic job by Brian Kelly. Would you agree? Yeah, it was a little little much. I think they could have stuck with the run. I, I think they lost confidence in their... Uh, in the run game, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the run, but I think they had a game plan, and I think it was probably um, the wrong game plan to some degree. I, I think they needed to do a few things differently in the run game. Um, Pitt had done a really nice job against the run. Their safeties played very, very well, but I, I think you're bang on. I think Notre Dame would have been well served because those Pitt safeties were playing the run very aggressive to get them come up and, uh, and then throw over the top of them and so I would have liked to see them be a little more patient but yeah so probably first three quarters of the game I thought were reasonably well called I wasn't overly enamored with the late uh, the late calls in the game there but you know you make your decisions and, and you go from there but and I, I'm not as bothered by empty as I used to be um, you know it does play to Tommy's strengths and uh, you know to a large degree I just really think the coaching staff doesn't have much confidence in this run game so I think they're willing to abandon it when they get their backs against the wall. So do you think that's the issue? I mean, it seems like they've abandoned the run a lot more this year, certainly more than last year, but even going back to 2010 and 2011, we I don't think we've really seen the wholesale abandonment of the run like we have uh, in about four or five games this year. Do you think it's just they don't trust that run game? Yeah, I think it is. I think partially it's in their uh, in their DNA that uh, you know they like to pass a little bit. I think that their run game is really hampered by by Tommy Reese's lack of mobility, and I just you know they don't have the running backs that they've had the last few years. You know, they had Sierra Wood and and Jonas Gray, and then you had uh, Sierra Wood and uh, Theo Riddick, and I don't think there's anyone on the roster right now that they that they trust anywhere near to that degree. I want to get back to Tommy Reese here for a second. Um, one of the things I noticed, and I, I've seen a couple other people comment on this as well, for the first time I think maybe in his entire career, he kind of looked out of it on the sidelines. Um, I don't know if he was just rattled or or what it, whatever it was. Um, I couldn't help but think, uh, you know, he's he's thinking about that senior day game coming up against BYU and 
how nice it would have been to be going into that game at eight and two. Uh, you know, fans really respecting the the job he's done this year, and then all of a sudden he's thrown two picks. Um, you know, they're losing this game, and they end up do losing the game. And uh, I can't help but think that the kid's just getting rattled thinking about what's going to happen in that stadium for senior day, and it almost makes me feel really bad for him. I hope uh, hope our fan base shows some respect and uh, class when he runs out there. Did you think he was he was rattled on the sideline? Yeah, absolutely he was. And, you know, it, it's tough not to be because, you know, Tommy Reese is a kid who, and I, I talked when, whenever Golson got kicked out of school, I was one of the first to say that, you know, I think we're going to end this year being really happy that we had Tommy Reese. I think that he's going to have a good year and he'll do a good job for us and, and he'll progress. And, and I think you could make an argument that that's the case. Um, but, and, you know, I think, Tommy felt like he had a chip on his shoulder and he had something to prove and, and he still had an opportunity to do that and uh, I think in a couple plays he saw it slip away. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing is he still had time and they still could have come back and won that one even yeah. with those two picks. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think he was rattled and I mean, anybody who plays sports at a high level like that, at some point they get rattled no matter how cool collected they are and uh, I think he was just really devastated that he, he let his teammates down and uh, and he let the whole Notre Dame nation down. That's a, That was a pretty tough thing for him. All right, let's talk a little bit more in depth about that running game. Uh, Notre Dame did outrush Pitt in this game, which I think is a little bit of a surprising stat. Actually, that is my surprising stat for my game recap. The Irish finished with 138 yards at 5.8 per carry. Um, normally that's a pretty good day at the office. For this game, it didn't really feel like it was that productive. Um, Pitt ends up with 112 yards net rushing. They actually did run for 145, but Notre Dame threw in a sack and a, I think five or six tackles for loss to knock that net yardage down. What What's going on with this running game? We've already kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, I think I'm on the same page with you here. It's definitely... Um, I think the lack of mobility from Reese hurts the, the running game. But we just don't seem to have that talent running back right now that, that kind of pushes this running game over that. Talk a little bit about um, what you saw on tape so far. Yeah, um, well, first of all, I'd say the, the rushing numbers are probably skewed a little bit by uh, some pretty big runs by TJ and uh, George Atkinson. They each had a, a, you know, I think probably a 20-plus yard run. and yep. uh, So that uh, probably skews the numbers. 33 and 35 were the those two runs. So almost half of the yardage was on those two runs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there, it was tough sledding for Notre Dame in the run game. A um, couple things that I saw. First of all, pit safeties played very, very well. Those are two very good safeties, and they come up very aggressively against the run. Um, so, you know, there's some credit that should be given to Pitt on that. And I thought, as I mentioned earlier, Notre Dame did a good job taking advantage of that. They ran play action, post over the middle, and uh, the safety came up boom, touchdown. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. So there's a little game within a game going on there, and, and Pitt did a nice job. Um, we talked a little bit about Tommy's lack of mobility. That is impacting impacting the Notre Dame running game. Now, some people will say, well, there's lots of teams that can run the ball without a mobile quarterback. perfect example would be Alabama, and, and that's true. But the type of blocking that Notre Dame likes to do, um, a lot of zone blocking, um, 
it, it means that if you don't have a quarterback who can run, the defense can always get an advantage. They can always get an extra person in that box, and and certainly Pitt's safety forced Pitt's safeties forced a lot of the issues last night. We just didn't have a way to account for them in our blocking schemes, and I you know there was a real lack of sort of power game, and and last couple of weeks we've seen Notre Dame move to more pulling. They were pulling Elmer and a little more counter type stuff. This week they didn't do that. I think that's because they wanted to use more zone blocking so they could get a double team on uh, on number 97, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Eric, I should have looked this up, but that's Aaron Donald, right? Lineman yep. for Pitt. Yeah. They, so I think that impacted their game planning. Um, and to be honest with you, I thought they were a little too respectful of him. Yeah. And, uh, and they, it kind of turn their game plan upside down and if you listen to Brian Kelly talk after the game he talked about um, how they wanted to try and get out on the perimeter because they were worried about Donald and that sort of thing and that's why they used George Atkinson more and I think that was a real mistake um, you know it's great to get out to the perimeter and and do that but I think they needed to run right at Pitt as well and and say we're just going to beat you and it would have been nice to see uh Elmer pulling around and, and leading Folston up through the hole again like we saw against Navy. Um, and I, I think Notre Dame had some opportunities there and, and we got away from it. Um, and then the other one is that we've talked about, I think there's a, still a lack of commitment to the run. And I think there was nowhere that it was more obvious when we were down on the, after Koyak's, I think it was after Koyak's big reception and we were down on the, you know, within one yard of the goal line and, and I like the formation that we came out, a pistol formation with guys uh, on the edge there, almost like the vaunted diamond formation. We ran the ball hard. I thought Cam was in, but but then we go next play, we go to a pass, and then we run a sweep to TJ. Uh, I don't know. I think you got to just pound the ball in there, and I think it was warranted to take at least one more shot. And I, I think that's part of it is you got to send a message to your lineman that we're going to get this and we're going to decide that we're going to run up the middle and there's no way they can stop us. And I think the opposite message was sent was that, well, now we got to get cute because we couldn't do it once, so we don't trust you to, to get in there and move the pit guys out of the way. And uh, so now we're going to get fancy with, with a pass and with a sweep. Now if I kind of want to maybe take a little bit of a look to the future here now, I'm sure you would agree next year with a mobile quarterback, with Golson coming back, the, that's automatically going to give a boost to the running game. Um, and, and, and with that, I think we'll probably see Brian Kelly um, you know, change the identity more towards what we saw in 2012, um, stressing the run game a little bit more. Naturally, just the mobile quarterback will uh, run the ball more on his own, even if it's not play, the, call, the call isn't played that way. My question to you, Lars, is, what you've seen from the running backs so far uh, with Atkinson, McDaniel, Folston, and even Carlisle, what, what is this coaching staff going to do with all these bodies next year? And you're probably going to have Greg Bryant come in back from injury next year. Do you think there's they need to take two guys next year and really give them the bulk of the carries? Um, I, I tend to think, you know, trying to run three and four guys out there, um, you know, while I think, if everything's going well, that's great, but when it's not going well, I'm not sure you want guys coming in and only carrying the ball four or five times a game. Uh, what are your thoughts on maybe looking towards next year and having all these bodies at running back? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting, and when you bring Greg Bryant back in the, in the mix, and Will Mahone too, um, you've got a real logjam, although I know Mahone's now, he's out for the season and he's been moved to slot, but 
yeah, there's a real glut of guys at the running back, and nobody seems to have separated. I mean, you hope that Folston and Brian will will separate. Uh, Bryant will separate from the pack next year, but I don't know. It's going to be an issue, and we could see. I hope we don't see someone transfer out of the out of the mix, but you never know. The reality is, um, you know, I think someone's got to get moved, and it'd be nice to see. I still wonder if Atkinson shouldn't spend some time in the slot. I realize he's not a great route runner, but uh, he does run the sweep very well, and I think he could do some things with him uh, and be fairly effective. So I don't know. And then you also have two emerging tight ends next year that you're going to need to have on the field, and um, and those guys are going to be critical components. So I don't know what exactly they're going to do with the running backs, but uh, I'd agree with you. It's It's absolutely a problem. It's going to be an issue next year. I think you need two guys who are probably running the show. All right, let's take a look towards the defense here. Um, Notre Dame didn't really play terribly, at least statistically speaking. Um, They gave up 355 yards at 4.7 yards per play. Um, They did give up one long touchdown and a a badly missed tackle by Matthias Farley. Um, I know you've spent a lot of time looking at the game film already, Lars. Uh, What is it about this defense that's so frustrating to watch, um, and uh, maybe talk about some of the things you think they need to change moving forward the rest of the season, and maybe in, into next year as well. Yeah, um, I've got some major concerns with with the defense, um, and and I do agree. I you know we started off playing well. Um, I'm actually working on a post for a film review about the defense. We've got a, a few issues. Um, the first one is frankly it's scheme, and I I don't want to pile on the coaching staff here, but you know, it's it's pretty obvious, and it was pretty obvious in this game. Um, what Pitt did was they used formations to overload one side, sorry, shifts to overload one side of the formation, so they'd move a tight end or a running back and a tight end over to one side, and sometimes Notre Dame would adjust, and quite often they wouldn't. And, you know, it's that basic principle that if they move two guys over to one side of the formation, you need to move some people over to that side. And uh, Notre Dame failed to do that on numerous occasions. And this is something that we've seen in the past. I did an article about Notre Dame having that problem against Alabama last year in the national championship game. Certainly if you look at the work that uh, Berger did against Navy, you'll see that the vast majority of the time Navy was able to outflank um, Notre Dame out on the perimeter. So this seems to be an issue that's been here for quite a while. Um, and it's it's uh, it's problematic for sure. We are not a super talented team to begin with, and we really struggle uh, getting out to the perimeter. And if we put in the added problem of being outflanked um, to the perimeter, it makes it virtually impossible for us to be successful. So that's been one problem. Is I've seen um, some real issues with formations and and Notre Dame getting outflanked. Now, if you could pinpoint one position um, from this game, who do you think played the most poorly? Um, the safeties. The safeties were were pretty bad. Farley. Um, I think there's a very good chance we won't see him starting again, or certainly a diminished role. Um, he just he just frankly wasn't good enough Saturday night. Um, just way too tentative, and uh, really hurt us. I mean. The, the missed tackle was one thing. To be honest with you, that, that missed tackle on the big pass, I've, I've looked at that play, and uh, 
Farley was in a bad position, but it, it was other guys who, who screwed up. It's really hard to tell what coverage Notre Dame was playing there, but they basically had four guys commit to um, to two underneath routes and leave the, the deeper route wide open. Farley needs to make that play, but um, that one's to not totally on him. But he was just very, he wasn't very aggressive. Um, he's just really tentative, and he's just not making plays. Do you think uh, the defense heading into next year really hinges on whether Stefan Tuitt comes back? Do you think this defense can be great with him, or do you think that's kind of uh, out the window right now with what you've seen so far and what we know we have coming back? Yeah, I'm I'm very concerned coming back. And there's another thing that I'll, I'll share with you schematically that I've been looking at is just the way we blitz. And again, this will be in my post on, on Tuesday, but, boy, our, our blitzing... Um, Frankly, it's it's not very complex. It's pretty easy to read, and um, and we're just that's why we're not having a lot of success with it. It's just not a very creative blitz scheme. We have a lot of times where we have two guys blitzing right behind each other, and uh, it's an easy pickup for for the offensive line. So, if we can't fix those schematic issues, um, and one of the things that happens, one of the reasons we don't adjust, by the way, is when we have a blitz on our guys are like statues. They don't move. They know they're blitzing, and basically they're going to run to that gap no matter what. They're not going to move from it. They're not going to do anything. They're going to stand, look at that gap. They're going to stay five yards deep, and then when the ball's snapped, they're going to run, which in my mind isn't the smartest way to do things. Um, until we get those things fixed, these problems are going to remain next year. Um, certainly, I think 2012... Uh, prove that you can kind of overcome some of those things with, with talent and you don't necessarily have to be the most complex defense schematically as long as you got good players. Um, I don't see anything right now that suggests that we're going to see a huge change next year. Um, to it back would be nice. Uh, I think we'll see some improvement in the, uh, in the secondary. Um, you know, I don't know what we're going to do at, at the inside linebacker position. And we're going to have to replace Shembo. That'll be tough. So I, I'm not feeling super confident even with, with two at back right now at this point. And, you know, I'm quite surprised by the development in the secondary. Um, we are very, very young there, and we're not very good. Um, you know, and guys who have been in the program for a few years, like Lil Wood and uh, Jalen Brown and uh, Josh Atkinson, have just dropped off the map. So next year we're going to be young again. Um, <laughs> so it's going to be very, very interesting, and I think schematically Notre Dame's going to ha really have to revisit what they're doing. Yeah, the secondary has been a pretty puzzling this year. I think Russell's played pretty well, and it does seem like teams aren't really throwing to his side of the field a whole lot, and they seem to be targeting Bennett Jackson a lot more. I know I mentioned on the site um, last night, I, I, I think Jackson's injured. Um, I don't know if it's his shoulder or whatever, but... Uh, he just doesn't seem to be the same player that he was the last two years. Um, like you said, that secondary is really young, and I think at least that offers some optimism for the future, um, especially at safety. You know, we hopefully we'll get Redfield some action here towards the end of this season, and maybe he can be a a big sophomore. You know, take a big sophomore leap next season. Um, hopefully, Shoemaker can get his head screwed on straight, and we never know what Jim's favorite player, Barati, could offer when he's healthy next year. So I think there is some optimism there. And then obviously, I Russell, like I already said, and a couple of the freshman corners have played well this year. Um, 
Talk to me about the inside linebackers a little bit. We know we're losing Fox and Calabrese, but we also know that they're not really the most talented players um, in the world. What what do you think they're going to do next year? I've kind of thrown out the idea that they should probably go with players who are a little bit lighter on the inside. Do you think maybe um, Ben Council is someone that they might move inside, although he's he's rather large for uh, even for an inside linebacker standards? Just looking at the roster, what do you think they're going to try to do at that inside position? <laughs> I, you know what? I have no idea. And Eric, like you, I'm a big proponent of faster inside linebackers. Um, uh, when I've, you know, as a coach, I've always looked for those faster guys who uh, who can get out to the edges because I think that's absolutely critical. You can usually plug up the middle. You can use scheme in your defensive line, and you can teach your linebackers, even if they're not the biggest guys in the world, just to kind of step up and, and fill a hole. But it's a lot tougher to get somebody who can get to the outside and, and make plays. Um, right now, I don't see any answers on the roster. Um, you know, you look at Ben Council for an example. Well, he's still a big guy, and he's going to be coming off major knee surgery, and that's going to. Plus, he hasn't played the position at this level. Um, you know, Jared Grace is is the same thing. He's coming off a pretty major injury. Um, you know, so I I'm not sure what they're going to do. That's going to be something very very interesting to look at. Maybe you you try and bulk up a safety, and uh, there's some potential candidates there. But yeah, it's it's worrisome for sure. Um, and I, I just think we need to get faster at the linebacker position. And I don't know how we're going to do it on the roster. Maybe we pick somebody up in recruiting. Maybe Grace makes a miraculous recovery. Maybe, you know, Deeb is, is, a, is a player. Who knows? It's a good question. My crystal ball isn't functioning very well here today. <laughs> One of the things I found super frustrating from the game last night was the tendency for the middle linebackers to drop insanely far in coverage. For example, on first and 10, they're dropping 15 yards. And then the pit just completes a nice little easy five-yard pass. We come up and tackle them about eight or nine yards, but it just puts their offense in a, in a great spot on second down. Is that is that pure coaching, or are the players not reading their zone and coming up quick enough? Is it a lack of speed? What, what do you think is going on there? Well, uh, you know, first of all, I agree with you 100% on, on your analysis there of what the linebackers are doing. I actually, I did a post after spring about uh, linebacker drops, and, and I remember looking at it, and I was just stunned at how deep they were dropping, and I, I didn't, I just figured it was something that they were working on, something they were emphasizing um, during the spring, but it seemed a little crazy to me, and we've, we've seen that issue crop up time and time again. And what's happening is the linebackers are basically in zone coverage. What you're taught to do is drop to the, take away the deeper pattern first, and then come up to the, the shorter pattern. And so we are doing a good job, and I believe that's what they're being coached to do, is to drop deep and then come up. But because they're limited athletically and because we haven't had a great pass rush this year, quarterbacks have a little more time to let things to develop and uh, they can throw those underneath patterns and, and because our guys are a bit slower, they're guaranteed to get positive yards and if, uh, if the receiver makes a good move, they're probably looking at a bigger play. And so what happens as the game progresses, and this was crystal clear against Pitt, Pitt was going underneath, 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 and then finally our linebackers sucked up and they bid on the underneath and boom, they're running, uh, they always have, you try and put linebackers in a bind, so you run someone underneath them and somewhere, someone in behind them. And uh, as soon as the linebackers stepped up to take the underneath, they hit the, um, 
the deeper pattern and uh, off to the races. So what's happening is our safeties are really tentative, so they get good depth, um, and our linebackers get good depth. Um, but neither groups are very athletic when the ball's in the air, so that creates a natural seam between the linebackers and the safeties. And if a linebacker starts stepping up for the underneath stuff, it's easier. It's easy to hit those kind of 15-yard big patterns in behind them, and then those receivers are off to the races. So it's a real problem. And the biggest issue, I don't think it's scheme. They're they're playing the zone correctly. Um, they're just not athletic enough to break on the ball. Specifically, our inside linebackers don't break very well on the underneath stuff, and our safeties don't break on the ball very well on, on those deeper patterns, and, and that's why we're getting so many issues in there. I remember after, I think, the first game against Temple, um, I mentioned how concerned I was with the middle linebackers and the safeties. I'm going to throw a true or false at you here, Lars. Do you think the biggest problem with this defense is they're just deathly afraid of giving up the big play, and everything kind of just flows out of that whole, um, you know, nature of, you know, we, we don't trust our safety, so our linebackers are dropping a little bit too far back, and they're not coming up and taking those short passes as maybe as well they as well as they should. Um, do you think that's the biggest problem right now, or do you do you think there's maybe another area that you think is is more concerning? No, that, that's a huge problem. I would agree with, with you on that. Um, the two biggest problems, in my opinion, on the Notre Dame defense are just what you said in the past coverage. We're just a little too tentative, a little too scared to make a play, and then our perimeter run defense is, is not good at all. Yeah, and, we saw Mata last year come up and make a lot of tackles, and even the year before that, you know, Harrison Smith and Mata. Um, that seems to be wholly absent from the defense this year, isn't it? Yeah, when, like, when was the last time that you remember a safety coming up and making a tackle on the perimeter? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I don't remember that. Or even a guy catching a ball in, in a zone and just getting lit up by a safety. Um, we just haven't seen that. Uh, you know, I certainly stand to be corrected. We haven't seen much of it if we've seen any of it at all. Yeah, that was, seems like Mata was doing that two or three times a game and Honest to God, I don't know if we've seen it two or three times in the past five or six games. So, all right, Lars, uh, we don't really have any more questions. Uh, where's your head at here as Notre Dame's kind of licking their wounds after this bad loss? Whew, uh, you know, I almost wrote, I, I actually deleted a couple, couple comments during the game. There was a few times where I almost said, you know, I don't, I think I ended up saying it at some point, but <laughs> during the game in the third or fourth quarter, there's a couple times where, I was where I had posted and then hit cancel, and I had said, you know, I don't know if we're going to win another game this year, and uh, it's very, very possible that we don't win another one. Um, you know, BYU will be will be tough. I think they're beatable, but they're going to be tough, and Stanford will be very difficult. And then who knows who will play in in the bowl game? Um, the one thing I will say is historically Brian Kelly has been pretty good when his back's against the wall. And he's done a good job of getting his players to regroup and uh, and play. And I think, um, you know, I think it was 2010. Was it 2010 when we beat Utah and USC at the end of the year? Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think there's some evidence to suggest that they're not going to just lay down and go quietly into the night. But uh, this was a this was a pretty tough loss, and I think it's fair to say it was a step back for the program. Yeah, it's always hard when you lose games like this because. You know, everyone starts questioning the coaching staff and you know envisioning the future falling apart. Um, 
wasn't that long ago. We I think we were three and two, weren't we? And won four straight games, sitting at seven two. Things are looking nice. People are talking about possibly making a BCS bowl game, um, and now you know things almost did a 180, and uh, we're talking about maybe not winning a, another game the rest of the season. Uh, I think that BYU game is going to be really big. Um, I think most people would would assume at this juncture that they're not going to beat Stanford to finish the season. Um, although maybe it's just going to be classic Notre Dame for them to lose to BYU and then beat Stanford on to end the season. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, we got the bye week coming up. Uh, we'll see how they prepare. Uh, like you said, I think BYU is very beatable. Um, I think their defense is a uh, is not as good as people tend to think it is. Um, they were pretty strong last year, but I don't think they're nearly as good as they are, they were um, in 2012. Um, uh, their offense is going to be tricky, though. Uh, got a dual threat quarterback. He likes to run a lot. That's automatically going to give our defense. Uh, a lot of trouble off the bat. Uh, they run up-tempo. Uh, I think I mentioned in my, my picks from this past Friday, they've, they're running almost 10 more plays per game than Oregon. So I don't know if that leads the nation, but it's got to be up there. So I, I, I know that's going to give the defense a lot of problems. Um, but if we win that game, I think you know we can put this pit game behind us and then focus on Stanford. Uh, you have anything else to say, Lars, before we get out of here? Yeah, just, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and, and how difficult it is to win no matter what the level and the sort of the, the thin margin between winning and losing. And this team this year is a perfect example, right? You could you could make a strong argument that we could have won every single game that we played this year. There hasn't been a game where we've been outclassed completely. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I think most Notre Dame fans would say that, you know, would feel that we should have won every game that we're in. Um you know, the other side of the coin is we could have lost the vast majority of them. Really, the only ones that we were in control fairly comfortably were Air Force and uh, and Temple. Um, so, you know, it's very funny, the college football world, and hopefully when BYU comes to town, we get ourselves a nice win and everyone's feeling good again. But uh, I think it just kind of drove home that point, how difficult it is to win and and. You know we're not a great team, and and we got to play as well as we can every week to win. Yeah, that's true. All right, uh, like I said, we have a bye week coming up, so we'll kind of have a, a lot of different stuff on the site for the next ten days or so. Um, I'll have a 2015 recruiting big board that I hope people will enjoy. Um, I know we're still in the 2014 recruiting, but uh, we're not too far away from the current high school juniors taking over the spotlight. Uh, we'll continue our basketball coverage and I would like people to check out Lars's film room stuff that's going to be up on Tuesday. Um, this uh, podcast will go up on Monday so if you're listening to it now it'll be up tomorrow. Um, for Lars, I'm Eric and this is the One Foot Down Podcast episode 17 and we will see you in another week. Yeah.